Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, ESPN, and Arizona Cardinals broadcaster Dave Pash. Our guest this week is Fox Sports lead game analyst Greg Olson, longtime Carolina Panther, also played for the Bears and finished up his 14-year career as an NFL tight end with the Seattle Seahawks. Last year, he was on the number two crew at Fox with Kevin Burkhart. This year, they're the lead crew, and they will call the Super Bowl here in Arizona at State Farm Stadium. We'll talk about the Panthers and his thoughts on Baker Mayfield. We'll also talk about his time as a member of the Panthers playing with Cam Newton on a team that went to the Super Bowl in 2015. Also, Greg's thoughts on calling the Super Bowl, how he'll treat that week as a broadcaster. My approach this year is really get a good routine every week on how I prepare and how I go in with the mindset and how I want my style to be. By the time I get to the playoffs, by the time you get to the Super Bowl, you can, just like as a player, you can really rely on that routine. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. Get ready for a football season like never before with BetMGM, an official partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Sign up today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. All right, let's hear now from our guest, former NFL tight end and current Fox broadcaster, Greg Olson. Fires end zone, and it's caught. Touchdown in the back of the end zone, Greg Olson. So, Greg, the producer of this podcast is Jim O'Mahundro, but the executive producer for this particular episode is former Cardinal quarterback Drew Stanton, who got you to do this. I really appreciate you doing this. I used a favor from Drew to get you on because I know you don't do a ton of these. First of all, tell me how you and Drew, because I know you guys are tight, how far you go back and just about your relationship. Yeah, Drew Drew is one of my closest buddies. We So we first met, so back in 2007, um, we had both declared for the draft and we were preparing for the combine and we had the same agent, Drew Rosenhaus. And Drew, we all trained at a facility down in South Florida um, with a guy named Pete Bomarito. And Drew put all of us, all of his clients up in that year's class in the same um, like condo building. So Drew and I lived across the hall and just, that was the first time we had ever met. And, you know, for the next three months, we drove to training together. We ate together. We, you know, became really good friends. Our, our wives became really good friends. And, um, to this day, he, uh, he's a guy that, you know, I consider one of my closest friends in, you know, in the, uh, you know, in, in the world. And, uh, he's just a great guy, his family, Kristen, the kids, they're just, they're just great people. And, uh, so when Drew reaches out, I, uh, a friend of Drew is a friend of mine. All right. Fair enough. And are you as into wine as Drew is? Because the guy's out of control. I'm, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I, I should say I've learned a lot about wine through him. Uh, we love going to dinner. We love traveling with them because that's one thing that will always be taken care of. But, uh, yeah, Drew, Drew's love of wine. Uh, we, we went to a um, – for a buddy's 40th birthday years back, we all went out to Napa. And uh, so experiencing Napa with the Stantons is uh, is quite the experience. So I, I don't pretend to know as much, but I've learned a lot from Drew. And anytime I have a question, he's my first call. 
Well, he's gotten really good at this. I, I think he, you know, enjoys broadcasting. I don't know if it's going to be something that, uh, you know, he's going to want to pursue all in like you have. But I think he's really good. I think he could do uh, really well in the business as as you have. It's really interesting, kind of watching your ascension, and I want to get into that. Uh, it's funny because I had conversation with Drew about doing his games even when he was at Michigan State because I've been at ESPN now doing college football for almost twenty years. I did your games at Miami, and then obviously did your games with the Cardinals when you've been in the NFL. And I know you live in Charlotte. You, you're, you had a great run as a player, spent nine years with the Panthers, three Pro Bowls, three straight 1,000-yard seasons, which had never been done by a tight end. And then you beat the Cardinals in the NFC Championship game in 2015. I'm assuming that is up there with your fondest memories of being a Panther. Uh, what else would be at the top of the list of your memories with Carolina? Yeah, you know, I was fortunate for for nine years. You know, I was able to join a to join a team that prior, you know, the 2010 season was a little bit of a struggle, and it was really cool that in 2011 it was kind of the start of of something pretty special. They had a really good nucleus of players, um, you know, Steve Smith and Ryan Khalil and Jordan Gross and Jonathan Stewart. I mean, just a really good, you know, Tom and Thomas Davis, just a good core group of guys. Um, that were there, but, you know, they just struggled. They, they had a tough season the year before for a lot of reasons. So that next year, um, you know, hired Ron Rivera and drafted Cam and they traded for me from Chicago. So it was cool. We all kind of started that chapter of our careers together. And, you know, as you said, you know, the pinnacle was 2015. You know, we, we made the playoffs year three in 2013 um, and kind of put ourselves on the map and made it again in 14. And then, you know, kind of really, you know, hit our peak in 15, but, you know, we went 15 and one, and like you said, we played Arizona in the NFC Championship. We had the best record in the league, and I believe they had the second best record in the league. I think they won like 13 games that year. So it was, it was a huge matchup, and, and the reality is we just played really well that night. Um, it was kind of a magical night back in, you know, back, in, back in Charlotte. And, you know, I just remember standing on the field and, you know, realizing, you know, at the trophy presentation that we were in two weeks we were going to play in the Super Bowl and just – we had beaten Seattle in the divisional round and then to beat Arizona in the conference round. We had, we had really gone through a, a pretty, you know, a gauntlet of really, really good teams just to make the Super Bowl. And then, you know, we ended up just kind of laying an egg. But I have so many fond memories of that time there. I think the best thing was just building, you know, building that group of guys and building that team from the ground floor up. You know, they were they had the number one pick in 2011 and we were back in the playoffs by 13 and, uh, making a run in 15. So that, that was probably the most special part was just seeing how, how we can turn a franchise around when you have the right group of guys. And you mentioned that 2011 draft. That that will go down as one of the greatest first rounds in NFL history. J.J. Watt, Patrick Peterson, A.J. Green, Von Miller, Cam Newton number one overall. What was it like to play with Cam? Because that year he was the best player in football. Oh yeah, it wasn't even close. I mean, his MVP year, what he was able to do. But but even years prior, you know, and, and after, you know, it wasn't really until the injuries kind of set in in 2017 that things kind of started to to fade away for us. You know, not not just him and dealing in and out with the shoulder injury and then the foot, but you know, th- that was kind of the start of of kind of the end of you know our run. We you know we made the playoffs in 2017 again, um, ended up losing to New Orleans, and then. That, that was really the end of it. And after the 19 season, we were all gone. So, um, you know, Cam, Cam was a special guy. We, we saw that pretty quickly. You know, I got the training camp there in 2011 after 
after I got traded to Carolina and not really knowing what to expect. Of course, we'd all seen him play at Auburn and we knew how special he was, but you kind of get, you meet him and, and at first you're just, you're just blown away by his physical presence, just the way the guy looked, his size, his, his, just his physique. He was, he was just, there was not a lot of guys built like Cam Newton. And then, you know, his ability to run both his speed and his, you know, his physical nature that he'd run with. He, he just was unlike any quarterback really at the time. And, um, you know, he just grew so much as a passer. He grew so much as just an all around player. He, he, he was awesome. He was so good for my career. Um, we were able to accomplish a lot of really good things together. And, you know, I'm the first to admit that, you know, a lot of my success was a product of the two of us playing so long together and, and having so many games together and, you know, just really saw things the same way. So Cam, Cam was a unique talent. There's, there's not a lot of guys like him and he's about as competitive a guy as I ever played with. And I think that carried him so long. And unfortunately, some of those injuries kind of, you know, got the best from there at the end. But man, for when, when he was at his best, he, he was as good as anybody. I know you're doing national games every week, and, and I, I totally get what that's like. You're honing in on the two teams you're preparing for, but you're still keeping abreast of what's going on around the NFL. And certainly when you live in Charlotte, you're paying close attention to the Panthers, and given that you played most of your career there. What are your thoughts on the Panthers and where they are? They had lost nine in a row. Their last win prior to this past weekend was against the Cardinals here, which really started the Cardinals' downfall last year. Yeah, and I think if I remember it right, that was Cam's first game back. I think Cam ran for a touchdown and threw for a touchdown real early in that game. Um, they kind of used them in and out of the lineup. So, yeah, you know, I think, you know, just this year, tough game in the opener. They had it, um, had a tough kind of ending there at the end of the Browns game with a weird uh, roughing the passer call and a weird grounding call that, you know, gave Cleveland a chance to kick a field goal and then you know, never expected they were going to lose when the schedule came out. They, they thought the Giants game would be a win, but the Giants have proven to be a lot better than people thought. And, you know, it's, I, I think their season started worse than they are. I think this past week getting a good win against, um, against New Orleans was big for them just to kind of get that off their back. You know, anytime you lose for that long, you know, what you just need to win. And it doesn't matter how it comes. It doesn't matter the form or fashion, but sometimes it just allows everybody for one week to just take a collective deep breath and say, all right, we're good broke the losing streak now we can just focus on you know honing in to play so I, I think they're a more talented team than their record shows they're you know not only this year's record but just the record into into last year as you referenced their losing streak so I think they're talented I think they have a lot of good young pieces um obviously Baker is still kind of getting you know getting his legs under him here in Carolina as the starting quarterback and I think as the year goes on I really do believe that they'll continue to improve and that, you know, defensively they're pretty they're pretty stout. They got some really dynamic young players there. And then I think as the offense continues to find its way, they're not short on talent. They're not short on playmakers. So I think it's just a matter of how they continue to gel and come together. But I think they're a talented group that's just trying to learn to win right now. Tell me more about why you think Baker is the answer. And I've been told by several people that even though you're a tight end, you see the game the way a quarterback sees it. So you're certainly qualified to talk about Baker and his strengths. I think we all know about Baker's weaknesses, but tell me why you think Baker is the answer there for the Panthers. You know, I, you know, is he the long-term answer for the next 10 years? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I can't pretend to have that sort of insight and whatnot, but in my limited time studying them and, and just you know, watching the games on replay and whatnot, 
know, I think what he brings is is just stability. He brings he brings that competitive fire, but he brings a guy who's really played he's played well and I think he's played better than his reputation. I think if you look just at last year, you know, his last year in Cleveland, you know, he really he was out there kind of banged up, playing hurt, you know, could have easily said, Hey, I'm not healthy, I'm gonna sit this out, but he didn't. He continued to battle, played with that shoulder, played with a litany of things and, and didn't play well, but you know, I think he's a better player than what our most recent memory of him. So I think when you know they went out and brought in Deshaun and made him available, I think there was there was talk in Carolina for, for a long time that Baker was gonna eventually end up here and then, you know, it kinda happened a little later in training camp than people you know, going into training camp than people thought. But you know, I just think with the weapons that he has, Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore and um you know, Robbie Anderson, and, you know, they got some, they have some weapons offensively. They've improved their offensive line drastically from last year, drafted what they think is the next, you know, 10 plus year left tackle in, in Icky. So I think as far as the, the core group of guys to work around, they have them. And now it's up to the quarterback. It's up to Baker to run the show. And, and he hasn't played great this year. I think he's played better as the year has gone on. But as he continues to get more comfortable in Ben McAdoo's system, He's not short on playmakers. He's not short on guys to spread the ball to. And that's going to be the key to this growth of the offense is how does Baker run the show? How does Baker operate in this offense? Um, we know he can be special. We know he can make the, the splash flash play. Can he just make the easy play? Can he just make the easy read and get the ball into some of these, these dynamic players that they have offensively? And I think if he can ma- find that balance between playmaker and just game manager, at times he needs to be both, then I think that that's the recipe that I think they're looking for because I think they have the players around them to do it. Greg, what are your thoughts on the Cardinals? You were out here for Fox doing the Baltimore game, and I get that in that game nobody really played for the Cardinals, so it may be hard to fully give an evaluation properly on where the Cardinals are, but I think you did some Cardinals games last year, and as you know, uh, the first half of last season and into the second half, they were the best offensive team in the NFL Right now, they're struggling. No first quarter points. Uh, they have not led in regulation at any point in three games this season. What do you make of what's going on out here? Yeah, you know, I I, I, didn't, I actually didn't end up getting any of their games um, last year in the regular season. As you mentioned, I called their preseason game against Baltimore. Zero of the starters played, but had a chance to visit with, with Kingsbury and, and, and some of the coaches and, and – um, you know, Vance Joseph, and just kind of get a vibe and a feel. And, and they felt really optimistic going into the year. They felt that as they got healthy, of course, missing DeAndre Hopkins to start the year is a big blow. And, you know, they think a big reason for that, you know, late season kind of collapse that you mentioned, a lot of it was injury related. You know, they, they lost, you know, Hopkins. They lost, um, you know, obviously uh, Kyler Murray got banged up there and kind of played through some injuries. They lost J.J. Watt. They you know, they were a veteran-laden team, maybe a little bit older, and a lot of those key veterans that they were relying on, you know, they didn't have down the stretch. You know, J.J. came back and attempted to play, I think, in the playoffs, um, but it didn't end up, you know, being too much in that Rams game. So I think they're going to be very dependent on staying healthy. I think they're going to need some of these top, you know, especially some of these older guys to stay healthy. They're going to need some of these weapons, you know, Hollywood Brown and these guys to fill in um, because DeAndre Hopkins is arguably one of the best receivers in the league, and, you know, to expect just one guy to replace him is difficult. So they're going to need collectively as a group, they're going to need Kyler to play really well. They're going to need their skill players to step up. They're going to need to stay healthy. And from what I've seen this year, you know, the the magical comeback win that they had two weeks ago, um, 
was insane. I mean, the way that game ended was was wild um, against the Raiders. And really outside of that late flurry, as you mentioned, offensively, they've just been kind of blah. So they've got to figure out what their identity is. They've got to figure out, you know, what scheme they want to run, a little hybrid of what Kingsbury started running when he first got there and, you know, kind of what they've evolved to now. So I think they're still trying to figure that out. Obviously, they've hitched their wagon to Kyler Murray and the you know, they're only going to go as far as he takes them. But I think they're still trying to figure out, you know, what that identity is, what's that balance of him as a runner, as a passer. Um, but, yeah, they, they have too many good players to not be better offensively, and I think that right now that's the obvious thing that they're trying to figure out. So your last year playing was 2020, and you were kind of the broadcaster in waiting. You have the coach in waiting. You were like the top broadcaster, top analyst in waiting. Everybody knew that when you were done – you were going to a high-level booth at one of the networks. You're at Fox last year on the number two crew with Kevin Burkhart. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman come over to ESPN. So now you're on the lead crew. You're doing the Super Bowl this year. I'm curious, Greg, when did you start to realize that you wanted to do this post-football? And was it always, I want to do games? Did you think you wanted to do studio? Or were you not really sure? Yeah, it's a good question. I, to be honest, it wasn't something that I ever early in my career it was not something that I ever really thought about or dreamed about. You know, I was always so focused on just being a player. And then, you know, kind of in you know the later stage of my career, you know, 2014, 15, um, you know, through some contacts that I had, I was doing some local TV stuff in Charlotte, some local regional network, college football shows, some professional stuff. Um, you know, Fox asked me to come out one summer. I think it was the summer going into the 2015 season and said, Hey, why don't you come out? I was, I was in LA visiting a friend, um, a former teammate of mine. And he said, why don't you come over to the studio and just call an audition game? And, you know, for anyone who doesn't know an audition game, you just, it's a game that already happened in the past. It was from the previous season. It's pre-recorded, and you sit in a studio with a play-by-play guy and you just talk over the game. And it's just a simulation to see how comfortable you are and whatnot. So, from that, um, which was actually with Kevin Burkhardt, who's my partner now, which is kind of a, a crazy um, full circle moment that he called my audition. Hmm. So now, fast forward 2017, um, they that summer they reached out to us and said, hey, we'd love to put you in a three-man booth on your bye week. We think it'd be really cool to, to have a current player um, and add him for, for a one-week kind of special thing. So I joined Kevin Burkhardt and Charles Davis. I became their third um, third member of the crew on my bye week, um, that was 2017. It went well. 2019, they said, hey, we'd love to see you do a game um, on your bye week again, but this time we'll put you as a two-man crew. So I did it with Kenny Albert. And then that, that next offseason, um, you know, right before COVID hit, they launched the XFL, and me and Kevin Burkhart did the first five weeks of the XFL together. So it really was just a gradual process that just different opportunities came. And, and to the point about calling games or studio, did the, the pregame Super Bowl show, NFL Countdown, um, you know, on the field and uh, before the Super Bowl. So I did some studio stuff with them, did some studio stuff with Fox, and CBS, really all the networks, and then just realized that my best opportunity to climb, my best opportunity to separate myself would be calling games. You know, the, those studio slots are really held for guys with really – really long resumes and hall of fame jackets and quarterbacks. And, you know, it just, it was a little bit of a different climb, but calling the games wasn't quite as dependent on that. You know, it was really about who's good and we want to find guys who are good and we're not so much wrapped up in name and 
and resume and playing career. So that was an opportunity that I was able to take advantage of. And fortunately, after one year of you know 2021, calling a full slate of games as the B crew, craziness happened, and Joe and Troy ended up leaving for Monday Night Football and uh, opened up the door for me and Kevin to slide up to the A crew. So it was it was kind of a, a wild process, but it wasn't anything that was like this long plan of attack. It just all sort of happened organically and tried to take take advantage of opportunities that I was given. I've been doing games for, for two decades, and there are still certain games that you know are bigger than others. So during the week, the butterflies are there, or in pregame, you're thinking more about, man, i got to really nail this open. There are more eyeballs on this game than maybe the game you have last weekend. And you know, you're supposed to say the right things that every game's the same, but it's not. Now, you're going to be doing the Super Bowl. What do you think? your mindset will be like because you've played in a Super Bowl but broadcasting it obviously is different it's not as natural to you as playing was but you come become very good at it what do you think that week will be like for you and Kevin yeah I think you know it's it's hard to it's hard to say you know if you would ask me as a player what playing in the Super Bowl was like I wouldn't have been able to answer it either and I think my experience playing in it was very different from what I thought it would be like so I'm sure it's going to be very similar now as the announcer you know, my approach this year um, is really like really get a good routine every week on how I prepare and how I go in with the mindset and how I want my style to be, how I want people listening to my broadcast to come away with it, like what I want them to come away with, and really try to do that consistently all year long. And I think if I can build that sort of routine and build that mindset over the course of the year, by the time I get to the playoffs, by the time you get to the Super Bowl, you can just like as a player, you can really rely on that routine. You can rely on those habits you've built throughout the course of the year. I think that all of a sudden you get to those playoff games and you get to a Super Bowl and you watch more tape and you have a different board and you make more storylines and you do more prep. All of a sudden you've made the game bigger. That'd be like you know the week of the Super Bowl, changing your practice plan from what had gotten you there. So that's really what I'm trying to just constantly remind myself of is at the end of the day, just like when you played. Whether you're playing in front of 10,000 people, 100,000 people, or on TV in front of 100 million people, the second you took your mind and eyes off of what you needed to do to not only prepare but get yourself ready to go out and, and, and perform at a high level, whether it's as a player or as a broadcaster, there's a lot of really similar, you know, a lot of similarities. Hard as that is, and as cliche as that is, that, that's really the only approach I can rely on because I don't have experience. I don't, have, I don't know what it's like to sit in that chair with 100 million people watching the game and be the voice of it. I, I have nothing to, to base it on other building a great routine throughout the course of this season, and hopefully all of that prepares me that that game, once it kicks off, feels normal. It feels, it feels sure. like every other, you know, it feels like the game I just did this past weekend in front of 20 million people with, the, with uh, you know, Green Bay and Tampa, right? Like, oh, I got to use all those games as prep to keep it, you know, keep it as regular and routine as I can. I've talked to a lot of former coaches and players and work with a lot that you know say they enjoy the games because a lot of guys enjoy studio because of FaceTime. Uh, a lot of guys enjoy games because there's still that rush because you're there, you're present, you notice the crowd. There's still that palpable intensity. Is, there, is that rush there for you when you do a game? You know, I think that's why I've really gravitated towards the games. There's something about being a stadium. There's something about the unpredictability of a game 
that I really enjoy. And, and you know, I've had my opportunities to do different studio shows, and I, and I like it, but studio shows are very scripted. You know, you talk in sound bites. It's all rehearsed. It's all, you know, block A, you're going to talk about the Chiefs secondary. In block B, you're going to talk about, you know, Lamar Jackson. And in block C, you're going to talk about, you know, Brian Dable and the Giants, right? It, it's And you just, you have your minute sound bite that you've rehearsed and you've kind of thought about and you just spit it out and then you're done. Like the game, you can prepare all week, you can study, you can come up with really interesting storylines and really interesting, just like as a player, you come up with a game plan. You're like, all right, here's how I'm going to attack this player. Here's how I'm going to run this route. And all week you practice and then on game day, the ball's kicked off and sometimes it works out as you planned. But more often than not, it's completely different than what you practice for and you have to adjust and act, you know, think on your feet. And and that's similar to calling a game, right? You, We can study all we want and predict what's going to happen, but we really don't know what we're going to see and what we're going to have to talk about until the moment comes. And I think that's what's fun about the games. That's what keeps you on your toes. That's what keeps you stimulated and really engaged because it's a challenge. You know, it's hard to talk for, you know, this, it's hard to talk for three hours in real time and react to what you see and come across as informed, come across as fun, come across as likable. Um, You know, it's just hard to do when you don't know exactly what you're going to see and what you're going to have to talk about. So I've enjoyed that. There's a lot, again, there's a lot of crossover between that and being a player. It's the original reality TV. It's totally unscripted. You never know what's going to happen. You come in prepared and you have things you want to talk about, and all of a sudden something crazy happens in the first minute of a game, and it totally changes perhaps uh, the direction you guys were going to go. Uh, were there some analysts that you really enjoyed watching growing up or when you were playing that you enjoyed meeting with that you studied or looked up to or anybody in particular that's really offered help to you in terms of you coming along as a broadcaster? You know, it's funny. Until I started doing it, I don't even really know if I ever paid attention to broadcasters. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, yeah, I've heard that before. Watching the game as a kid, you know, I I knew, you know, I knew who Monday Night Football announcers were as a kid. You know, Dan Deardoff and Frank Gifford and Al Michaels, and you you always, you know, you remember listening to games with John Madden. Like I, I mean, I remember them. I can't say I ever tuned into a game saying, oh, "I wonder who's calling the game." Right? It was always kind of secondary to me. But it really wasn't until you know later into my career and I had been on that other side of the camera and sat in those booths and called it where I would watch games and I would almost watch it more to hear what they were saying and more to see the replay sequence, more to see how the the analyst used the telestrator and what points he made and what I found interesting, what I found boring, you know, so it really was, was a, was a later in the road process. But, you know, when I was getting ready to do my audition, um, you know, Troy Aikman was, was really cool. I was able to connect with him, and he gave me some really good pointers. And then through the years, both being at Fox and then, you know, this past year with all this kind of, you know, musical chairs and guys moving and shaking, he was really cool. He reached out to me. We, he, he really, you know, he gave me great advice. He helped me kind of navigate the uncertainty of what was going on. So he was really cool years back um, when I was really – making a decision even prior to, to retiring two years ago. Um, I had some opportunities to go to TV and was weighing it. was able to chat with Romo about just what that transition was like, what it was like, you know, did you miss the game? Did it feel, you know, and he gave me some really cool insight to how he dealt with retiring relatively soon um, to go full throttle into, into TV. So I, I've been fortunate to, um, you know, have some good guidance and have some cool conversations. But as far as style, I, I don't try to be – anyone there's not anyone where I say oh I want to sound like him or I want to talk like him I I just kind of talk like me and I 
say things that I think are interesting and try to point out elements of the game that I find fun. And uh, it might not be for everyone. Some people might not like my style. They might not like, you know, the, the, the way I describe things or the way I coach it. But I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. I think our broadcast, you come away learning the game of football. And I, I like that. I want that to kind of be what people tune in for. And some people don't want to learn. Some people just want to be, you know, talked down to and just, you know, and I, it's just not my style. And I think the game is so fun and so interesting and complex. And the better we can do as analysts of portraying that, um, I think it's fun for the viewer to, to come away and, and learn a few things throughout the course of the game. I want to end with all the great charity work that you're doing in Charlotte. And I want to ask you about your son, TJ, and how he's doing and everything. But one more question related to broadcasting. What What is the term icy but classy and is that something that you use in game broadcast? So if you add Drew Stanton, that, that is something that the two of us have a deep history with. And uh, I, I, I think you're going to have – so it's actually a really good story, and I'll, I'll, I'll share it. So there was this jeweler down in Miami who made, like, really flashy jewelry, and a lot of guys would buy them. So one, one year we were training down there, and we're like, we have to go see this guy. Like, we have to go down and, like, see what this is all about. And um, – I think me and Drew ended up buying something for the girls. And it, at the time, I look back and it was really flashy. It had a lot of, it was just a lot. I, I look back and I kind of laugh because I would never buy it today. But the way the guy, the way it was described to us is that it was icy but classy, meaning like it was really like blingy and gaudy and diamonds and whatnot. But like it's still, and it's just always been something that Drew and I have, uh, have always kind of shared a laugh over and we, we refer to a lot of things, some inappropriate um, that I won't go into, but, but some things that we describe as icy, but classy. So I'm glad Drew put you up for that, uh, that question, because that is a, that is an all time class. Yeah, he did. The executive producer of this episode asked me to ask you that question. We need to find a way to work that into a broadcast that needs to become like a signature Greg Olson line, icy, but classy. Got to find a way to get that. If I could pull that off, that would be legendary. Uh, well, ask Rinaldi, because you work with the greatest wordsmith in the history of broadcasting, Tom Rinaldi, so maybe he's got a way to, to work it in for you. Um, he does. Sometimes he uses words, and I'm like, Tom, I don't know what that means. You have such, you know, he has such a – he has his vocabulary, his way with words, the way he can describe, and he is very, very – he is as intelligent and as smart and – creative and uh, he's really an improv I've got I've really enjoyed I didn't know him much until the last you know month or so and um but god is he impressive to be around I've really enjoyed Tom he is one of my favorite people in this business I, I got to know Tom from working with him at ESPN and going back to I think the worst the first time I had worked with Tom was on the first Penn State game after Joe Paterno was fired and having Tom there was such a security blanket for a play-by-play guy, given all that was going on around the program at that time. And he and I, he was very helpful then and had been helpful over the next decade until he left to go to Fox. I always joke with Tom that when he walks into a stadium, people start crying because every time the guy talks, you want to tear up. I got a text from somebody this weekend. I, got, I didn't see the feature uh, on, on their pregame show, College Football Saturday, but I guess it was a, it was a tearjerker. Oh, Tom, if you need someone to tell your life story, you hope one day it's Tom or not. <laughs> yes. All right, so tell me about all the charity work you're doing in Charlotte, and also I, I, I'd love to know how your son TJ is doing. TJ's doing great. You know, TJ is really a, a, a 
really special young boy. He's um, he's about to be nine in a couple weeks. Uh, he, I'm sorry, he's nine. He's about to be ten here in a couple weeks. And um, yeah, TJ's had a tough road. He he underwent you know his first open heart surgery at two days old and um, had three subsequent surgeries. And his most recent open heart you know major surgery was last summer. He had a he had a full heart transplant. Um, he was he went into heart failure after years with living with a modified heart, um, with the, with the heart condition that he was born with and, um, had a heart transplant last summer. And he, since then he's just flourished. He's, he's a good kid. He's smart. He's getting big and strong. He's active. He's, um, he, it's just, he's an absolute miracle what he's gone through as a young kid and the, the inspiration to, to start the hardest yard, which is our, our nonprofit program that we run here in Charlotte. And he just actually expanded into the Charleston region. So, we um, we provide you know we've provided about well over six million dollars and we provide you know outpatient care for cardiac families. We built a brand new inpatient um, clinic. We do um, we do in home medical f- treatments for doctors and nurses and therapists for kids following discharge from the hospital. So we offer our program offers a wide range of services for families. You know not only in the Charlotte region but now throughout the Carolinas, North and South Carolina. So. It's something we spend a lot of time. It's something we're very passionate about, you know, the world of, you know, congenital heart disease. It's the number one, you know, killer of, of young kids in America is is congenital heart defects. So it's something that affects a lot of people at various degrees. And we saw it at the you know most extreme with our son. And our goal is hopefully people that have a similar road behind us um, have it a little better, you know, a little bit of better road, a little bit better access to care, a little bit better quality of care, both pre and post operatively um, as a result of the hardest yard. And that's our goal. And we're just, uh, we're really proud of our efforts and really proud of the impact we've been able to make. And just, it's our way of giving back to a community that has really served us and, and given us a second chance with our son. And we're just thankful now that we can give back a little bit to them. Well, it's incredibly, incredibly inspiring. And, and also what a blessing to hear that TJ's doing well. I know that that was a very public story about a year and a half ago, and I appreciate you sharing and giving us the, the, the great update on how he's doing. Really appreciate you spending some time talking about a lot of different things, Greg. You do a great job. I really enjoy you and Kevin together. The times that I actually get to see you guys, because usually I'm working on Sundays, but the broadcasts I've seen have been excellent, and I'm happy for you to get a chance to do the Super Bowl, man. Enjoy the rest of the season. Hopefully we'll see you at a Cardinal game. Glad we were put together through Drew. This was fun. All right. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. All right, you got it. Thanks, David. Indeed, it's great to hear how well Greg's son TJ is doing and also how incredibly inspiring uh, Greg and his family are in terms of what they're doing in the community to help young people. It really makes Greg even more likable. He's very relatable as a broadcaster, and I've heard nothing but great stories about Greg as a person, and I think that really came through on the podcast. Terrific player, mainly with the Panthers. His best years in the NFL uh, were with the Carolina Panthers, including the time they beat the Cardinals in the 2015 NFC Championship game. It was great to reminisce about that, his playing days with Cam Newton, and what he's doing here in his second life as a broadcaster, working with Kevin Burkhart, Aaron Andrews, and Tom Rinaldi on the lead crew at Fox. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. Follow us on Twitter, at PashPod, and we'd also love to hear from you. Get your thoughts on the Dave Pash Podcast. You can tell us what you think by going to your podcast platform. Thanks again to Greg Olson of Fox, and thanks to you for listening to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast.